0: Sounds good. Welcome back to the Africa is a Country podcast. We're doing another special episode to talk about our favorite topic, which is the FIFA Men's World Cup happening currently in Qatar. We are joined by the usual suspects, Sean Jacobs, founder of Africa is a Country, as well as Tony Karen, who's editorial lead at AJ Plus, and both of them are the hosts of the Football History and Politics Podcast eleven named people, and we're joined by managing editor boima tucker So it's a full house. It's gonna be my first episode. Time. My first time. Fir- no, that's that can't be right. Is that yeah, true? Yeah. This is oh my god That okay, is well, true. I wait. think it's long, true. long overdue. Long overdue. boima is behind the scenes at Africa as a country and at the forefront keeps the wheels turning. So yeah, it's a big honor to finally have you on Boyma. Um, and yeah, let's just get straight to the conversation. I mean, what a World Cup it's been. The group stages have wrapped up. Quarterfinals have happened. We're now heading into semifinals. The major story, of course, being Morocco dispensing with Spain, and then Portugal. They face France next. How did this happen? Belgium They got ready rid- and, they- and they beat Belgium. I mean they're they're basic, they've not conceded. A goal at this World Cup the only one that they conceded was from an own goal they basically had to get their own team to score against them in order to have and, any goals go past their nets but and
1: what yeah. what do Spain, Portugal and Belgium have in common? Former colonizers of, of uh, Morocco. Morocco, yeah. And now so they have it's... to complete the checklist in the same time. <laughs> <place. laughs>
2: and, and Belgium has the largest Moroccan uh, migrant population in Europe. Population, exactly, yeah. Mm. I mean, those... France.
1: France is actually 1.1 million in Belgium. Oh, yeah.
2: But oh. Point B, yes, I mean. Proportion, proportionally, proportionally. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs>
2: How Miranda did this happen? for something
1: I'm
3: writing. <laughs> I mean, we should, we should definitely talk about how, yeah. firstly, I mean, we should just cognizant. To, uh, Tony, you want to jump? Tony wants to. No, jump. I just want to say what
1: Boima is saying. I think that's a really interesting topic because, you know, how we normally see, and, you know, correctly, like we see teams as representing, you know, the home country. Mm. But I think in some ways, the, the Morocco example is the most pronounced one of a team that represents a diaspora. Of mm. you know of my it, like I don't think there's been a better um, example of sort of Europe's migrant underclass being represented at the world cup like you know the basically what hakimi said after taking that winning penalty about what his parents do how they made a living in Spain and um you know there's is is um buffal with his mother and I, I think this is really profound and and you know mm. different they've always been Sons of my immigrants in World Cup teams, but this is a team of the diaspora as much as yeah. it is Morocco. I mean, it's, if it's, I'm it's, not mistaken, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. wait quickly. No, no player,
0: if I'm not mistaken, no player on the Moroccan team currently was born in Morocco, if, if I'm not mistaken. Of We're the ones who
3: are in, in the starting 11, we have to check on that, but I know that for at least 14 of the squad of 26, um. Are from the diaspora plays for teams outside. There are players on the bench who are born in Morocco and grow up in Morocco and play for local clubs. But the majority of the the kind of the players who have carried the burden of the team, um, you know, they're the diaspora. But just to quickly to follow up on Tony's point, when we usually did this game of you know when you and and I people are joking that um, the World Cup uh, people in the West or Americans. Treat the World Cup like it's an international relations seminar, uh, which we don't want to do.
1: <laughs>
3: but when you usually <laughs> who,
1: who, who would do
3: that? <laughs> who would be that? Um, when you usually think of the World Cup, like historically, there was this idea that you know, like you have these Africans who play for Western European mm-hmm. teams, and I think then you had Africans who play from the diaspora who played for their team, like Senegal, Cameroon. All these teams are kind of like that. Here's what I think the difference is. What you usually did was you put, you, you kind of put your energy or you invested yourself in these like France, England, Belgium, people did that. What I think, to Tony's point, what Morocco does now is you have a team that is, the, of course, made up of people from these diaspora communities, but this time they're playing in a team that is actually winning. Yeah, was like, successful at winning. So, yeah, people could argue Ghana did, came to the quarterfinals. So did Cameroon. But there was a feeling. We always felt, so did Senegal, that that's kind of how far we could go. You know, like that story where America will go to the last 16. Mexico will go to the 16. Like, it's in your head. You kind of know that that's, that's the ceiling. And so there had to be, like, a team that could win. And, of course, there are probably another bunch of factors as to why Morocco did it. You know, like uh, better coaching, I suppose. Like better setup. You know, letting the letting the coach coach. Not into. There's probably other things in there too, but I think I like the idea that this is a case of no more is it just sort of taken for granted that. So France is playing, and oh, we just kind of love France because France just got Mbappe, and they, you I, know. I have an
2: interesting. I have an interesting example of this is that I was watching. Um, It was in the last group stage game with uh, Germany was playing Costa Rica and uh, Spain was playing Japan. And uh, the, the, Spain was down uh, 2-1 I think at that time. And they were subbing on Ansu Fati, who for me is like the best migrant story (laughs) of current football. Like, um, and I would normally cheer for him in any moment but that I had this key, they were subbing him on and I had this deep sinking feeling, come on. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Don't save the Spanish.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's incredible that Morocco's coach, uh, Walid Regragui has only been in charge since August. Um, I mean, Sean, you mentioned just now that one factor that could explain their success is letting the coach coach like what has that meant for morocco's national team setup what have they done differently insofar as giving him a free hand to to guide the team in the way that he sees fit like how yeah the success is kind of surprising because they underperformed in the most recent african cup of nations to the extent you know they're knocked out in quarterfinals heading into this World Cup, no one had them on their radar as a team that would carry the hopes of the continent. Everyone thought it would be Senegal, maybe Ghana, maybe Cameroon. So this is just kind of like, yeah, I was taken aback by by how well they've done. Um, and trying to understand that from the football, I've not been able to piece together what the
3: recipe is. Mm-hmm. They've always, I mean, to be honest, they've always had great teams, like decent football teams. I think people forget that when Africa, when the the first time when African teams directly qualified for the World Cup, so before 1970, you had to play, Africa played Asia, you know, for a place in the finals of the World Cup. And then in 1970, we were given like this one spot and and Morocco had to defeat like uh, everybody basically to get that one spot. And so they were that first African, you know, Egypt, 1934, Egypt was in the World Cup, um, you know, and then in 1966, if you remember, Nkrumah said, We're not, we're going to boycott this World Cup until they give us a spot, until we can qualify directly to go to the World Cup. So Morocco did do that. They've gone to subsequent World Cups. Uh, '86, they were pretty decent when they, they were basically in what a one, what a draw, a zero zero draw. There was, I think, less than a minute left. When Germany scored a goal and that knocked them out of that World Cup, so it's not like they—they were—they were in the last World Cup. They were not great. So even myself, before before the World Cup started, I think I saw Senegal. I'm probably regretting that tweet now. I saw Senegal as the only team to get out of the first round. I said Morocco would most likely play well, but they would leave their fate, you know, which is sort of what African teams usually do: a couple of draws, a loss. And then you lose. You wait for that last game, and then that's that's where you think you can you can pull something off. But they from the start, you, you're right, like very you know brilliant defending, like tight defending, um, and then sort of the game against Portugal was just incredible, like scoring a goal on the break, and then just managing the game uh, and, and winning the match. So that's been, I think, important. that I'll make. I think Tony's like he's biting. He's just, like ready. Okay,
1: I want to throw something out there because <clears throat> Morocco to me is approaching this on the field tactically, but also the way that they're actually playing, the spirit with which they're playing. You don't see a World Cup player have a shot at goal, miss and smile, going like, you know what? I'll have another one. <laughs> he does that, right? <clears throat> the, the, the flicks, the touches, you watch when, when they break, the confidence and swagger with which they play, those little um, uh, ZH's little flicks, um, it's like, wow, nobody plays like this at the World Cup. It's freedom. It's playing with a real confidence. You watch the way they play the ball out at the back. I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God. Like, no, they're tapping, they're chipping the ball over the, the attackers. Like, it's little triangles in the corner flag and off they go. It's like, it's playing with a, a, a on the front foot in a way that very few teams do at the World Cup. And I'm guessing that the coach is saying, show them what you can do. Because if you had your traditional... Kind of European, like journeyman coach, who's going to come along and kind of they'll play like Japan plays in their first half. And I love Japan. I love second half Japan, where they go, okay, now we commit. Like now we take risks. First half Japan is you don't cross the halfway line, mm-hmm. right? That that's what uh, a, a European coach would typically impose on a on, on an African team. It's like don't play free football. Play very restricted football and you know hopefully, it's not good enough
3: which one so but that confidence the confidence you're talking about it's not it's not reckless so it's not, it's not like what Ghana you know the way Ghana was playing which is Ghana, I think Ghana sort of like imitates the kind of Brazilian football um you know that it's like little flicks they do they do it like Brazil does it like it looks pretty so but then it's like the naivete, like I don't call it naivete I'm gonna get slaughtered for this but they just don't know how to close it out. And so Morocco does what you say, Amrabad, when he's like, when he, when he runs from his box, he just one moves. It's like he's like, he gets the ball and he like goes. He just like, you know, it's like something you saw Baggio do like in 1990 or something. And he just keeps going until he gets tackled or he gets a really great pass off. Other, other African teams, when it's near the end of the game, they ran into a problem. Like what happened to Brazil with Croatia. Often happen to African teams at the end of a game. That doesn't happen with Morocco.
2: Could could you talk a little bit about the coaching aspect of that? Like because you wrote about the mm. coaches um, in your op-ed, and this coach, he's from a successful um, club side in Casablanca, right? Um, one. Well, no, one... He,
3: he's actually from France. He he had like a career as a as a player in French leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, he's from Paris, but and he coaches he... in Casablanca. Well, some of his jobs were in Morocco. I yeah. started, you know, coaching in Morocco. Um, but the, the key thing here is like more recently, and CAF, you know, the Confederation of African Football, they don't get a lot of they don't get a lot of praise because they they don't run their, <laughs> their their association, the continental association, very well. FIFA stepped in to run them. But the one thing they've done really well, and this so uh, Walid Regragui, uh, Ali Ossise. They're all products of this. So there's like an investment in coaching. And uh, the coach of Morocco is a product of that first class of African coaches who get their their European badges. You know, like you, to coach, you need this minimum requirement if you want to go coach in Europe. And in the past, with, this is why we have these African coaches. Sorry, these um, European coaches would go coach in Africa because they're badges. And you would, you know, the association would be impressed by them you know, before, before he became coach, they had, I think, a Serbian coach. Um, so there's, there's that problem of they didn't have qualifications. People didn't trust their abilities. And so now you have somebody whose abilities can be trusted. He also played in the Moroccan national team, which is the other crucial aspect that I wrote about in that piece in the Times, which is you have you have these coaches who all played in the national team. You have Song, he played for Cameroon. Uh, Ali Osise played for Senegal. He, I mean, we've talked about this before. He was in the Senegalese team who went to the World Cup and shocked France and went to the quarterfinals. So it's it's having these coaches that have a report with the players. The story that everybody keeps talking about is the previous coach got rid of Ziek. He said Ziek was a disruptive influence on the team. He doesn't want Ziyech to play for, for Morocco. The first thing that Walid did when he became coach is bring Ziek back into the team and, and let Ziek do what Tony was saying. Play free. Make <laughs> things happen. Not do this kind of conservative, you know, the stuff that Messi was making fun of the Netherlands, where he said, like, you know, throw up the long ball and tall guys at us, um, try to, you know, Messi hates, Messi was kind of mocking that, football. No, I, although I think Messi was mad that that football almost got the better of him. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so there's, there's something different about the coaching, just better coaching.
2: Messi isn't how moron yeah. huh? Yeah. Always <laughs> bobos exactly. oh, and boats bag holes. I think that's the
0: most we've ever seen Messi say like in his lifetime. Yeah. Whoa, whoa. He, he said the word
3: woul. He called the guy a woo
2: Bobo. A bobo, which He's apparently stupid. means
3: you're a fool a stupido, right? You're yeah. a
2: fool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
3: Somebody that Messi is yeah. finally Argentinian. Like he's, he, he, he's remonstrating. He's fight. He's uh, he's remonstrating with the ref. He's talking to his opponent. He never used to say anything. He handled the <laughs> book. Yeah, I know. He of he it. It. Yeah, that's like, yo, Messi, what's up?
2: He's, he's doing some patagonia in interpretation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can I ask about? Because we're talking about the where we are, but I actually think the probably most exciting about part about this tournament so far has been the group stage even though this knockout stage has been fun but the group stage mm-hmm. is filled with a lot of um surprises and excitement and you know speaking of Messi be, losing 2-1 to uh Saudi host country Saudi Arabia sorry I had to put that out there um <laughs> um
3: they were kind of like the hosts with all the people well they,
2: they had a lot of um yeah. fans they had uh, a yeah. yeah, hundred buses from Saudi into Qatar so um, it was kind of like a home game. So can you guys just talk about your highlights from the from the group stage? <clears throat> if you remember. I know.
1: It's a <laughs> long ago. <laughs> games, four games a day. I mean, I, I did love Japan. Um, and I think the fact that, you know, Japan can go toe-to-toe and beat Spain and Germany tells you something about the way, you know, I think we've said this many times before and probably in the class and everywhere else the globalization of the game um has meant the not only players moving um to to, you know that if the european clubs are the nba of football like you you don't only have the best players in the world playing in europe but you also have the coaching um you know the best coaches in the world but also the technology if you want to call it that of football has has been generalized so no there's just no team that's easy to beat anymore there's no team that comes with a naive style that can be kind of rolled over. You know, there diff- are uh, different idioms and stuff, but you sort of see, and, and again, I mean, what I loved about Japan, and I mean, I'm banging on about this, is that spirit of like, you know what, <laughs> let's just throw caution to the wind. I mean, it's not entirely that because you are still defending, you are still keeping it tight, but you're taking risks. You go, you, you're you committing players forward um, to make sure that when you do create uh, moments, um, you know, you, you exploit those moments. By the way, one little footnote there. I, I, so, as a devotee of English football, obviously, I was amazed at how many Brighton players were featuring uh, at this World Cup. Like, you know, uh, for Ecuador. And also, by the way, my favorite um, um, player at the World Cup. And I think I just wish Liverpool didn't already have two great left backs because Estupinian, Pervez uh, Estupinian from Ecuador was absolutely outstanding. I think he might have been the best left back at the World Cup. Caisedo, um, Mitoma for Japan, uh, Alexis McAllister of Argentina. Mm, Tariq Brighton, mm, um, uh, Tarek Lamti. You know, it's like wow, this is like this little. Muhammad well,
3: Kudus. Could well, mm. was he there previously? He was in Ghana. No, you're just saying like players that that kind of. Oh the, yeah, players yeah. who yes, yeah, 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 absolutely. Kudus is
1: like one of the best. I mean, if we had to pick our our best 11 from the group
3: stage, that would be kind of... Yeah, we did. We should have done that beforehand. If Kudus had come on from Brazil, it would have been a different story. Anyway, I was hoping Will would give me his um, before I give mine.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, there's there's so many moments to, to isolate. I mean, I really enjoyed Richarlison's opening goal for the World Cup um, and just that, like, what that meant of Richarlison being this... Socrates like figure who was anti Bolsonaro who kind of represents the best of the Brazilian spirit who comes out as this he's always been this poor, poor figure uh, behind closed doors but then now He also, also plays for your club so that's why you love. Him. He also plays for my club so that's, <laughs> that's 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 why I love him and I mean even after this after their exit just seeing like his interactions with 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 fans and the way he's been able to to speak confidently about how they're going to pick themselves up from this and and try again at the at the next World Cup and and versus, versus Neymar. crying Neymar, versus versus <laughs> crying him exactly. So that kind of antithesis between Lula Rishalison and Bostanaro Neymar. I think I've I really crying, crying that and thing. praying Neymar. He was praying. Neymar. Also, Neymar is now like
3: Neymar sounds like like a like a little baby now. Suddenly, he's like very. He's got feelings now when he gets interviewed about about the game now. He's just, he's like, he's, his eyes are all puffy. He's talking about family a lot. I saw this interview with him where it's like, everybody now wants to to ask him whether he's playing again. I got to go hang out with my family. Like, he's suddenly very sweet. But let me give you my, so for me, I was just happy in the first round that no African team <laughs> embarrassed themselves. Because, you know, when the, when the World Cup happens, there's always some, like, we get, like, uh, in in 2014, I remember Cameroon. I think it was against Croatia. It was like a crazy score when Cameroon just got quickly dispatched. I think that was Alex Song and all those guys. It was it just was not it wasn't fun to watch. So th- and also of course Ghana with the money. Do you remember Ghana with the with the with the plane full of money? So this was just a quiet African first round. Everything was nice. I didn't like that Ghana was naive against Portugal when Ghana mm. scored the the, the 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 goal. Then as Andre Ayew, he goes off the field and he's like celebrating a guy, giving the guy a hug. And the camera catches him as he's like hugging the dude and he looks around and he's like, what? They scored? And it was like 2-1. So that was just like terrible. That that was not yeah, great to and watch. And not to
1: mention his penalty.
3: Yeah, and then, he, of course, then he missed his penalty in the knockout. So just unlike the sort of... Portugal, Spain beat Costa Rica, I think seven one. So that was that was not an African team. So that made me feel good. And then when Switzerland beat Portugal beat Switzerland in the in the sixteen in the round of sixteen when they beat Switzerland six one. So I was like, okay, without these numbers is not on us. So that made me for for like if you want like the the first round and a little bit of the the round of sixteen, um, I was happy that African teams weren't being you know we weren't we weren't naive this time. And we played well. And, and we'll probably talk about this in a couple of minutes, but the other issue was that feeling of, I didn't think, oh, I was going to watch Saudi against Argentina. I was going to half watch that. I was like, oh, okay, it's Argentina. This is like a formality. And then, of course, that other factor of the crowd, the crowds from that first round, mm-hmm. you know, the Ghanaians, like with the, with the brass music, the whole game, like the Moroccans with the chance, like you said, the Saudis, and suddenly, like to this point of how do you watch football, you were suddenly like like liking how the Saudis play. Mm-hmm. He's like, I, I know miss- I know the Saudi politics, but yes. I was like, yo, I like these guys, I like how they play. So that's what what kind of also happened in the first round for me. But I none mean- of these teams
1: represent their country's
3: politics. Oh, totally, yeah. This is yeah, a- exactly yeah.
1: Morocco flies the Palestinian flag, whereas the Moroccan state embraces Israel and ignores the Palestinians. So Mm -hmm, yeah, sorry, go ahead.
2: Well, I was gonna say my favorite from that uh, match was the last 10 minutes of the match when the Saudis proceeded to just kick the ball as far as they could into the stands (laughs) and then the crowd would, the entire stadium would erupt. (laughs) I've never seen so much joy for time wasting in my life. (laughs) <laughs> well,
3: every time a Moroccan opponent touches the ball, the crowd would like, what was they like, whistling or something? They, they, they just like had a way of intimi- making the whole thing intimidating. Um, but that's another but, also well.
1: What we're seeing there, I, <clears throat> I think we've said this in previous conversations, is that the World Cup in Qatar is far more accessible to fans exactly. from Africa and Asia and the region than a World Cup in Europe or the Americas would be. Um, you know, just in terms of travel access, a- ability to get there, and particularly visas. Like it's not, you know, you probably more than half of the fans in some of those games would not have gotten a visa to go to a World Cup
2: in France. Or- and, and also, there's the ge- just specifically for the Saudi Qatari um, situation, there's obviously a geopolitical element to that. That just a few years ago, there was a, you know, a border skirmish um siege yeah and be, uh, out. and be out yeah and and they've seemed to have moved beyond that um which is good for people um you know we again we don't always agree with that you know the government's um what their policies are but you know you the less the world has kind of cross-border conflict i think is mm-hmm. better in all <laughs> so an interesting question that this arises i'll
1: throw a challenging one out particularly for the africa as a country comrades which is so you know some fans are looking because we're all celebrating morocco right and it's like the decentering of the west and it's palestine um and you know this is a team you know it's amazigh as well as arab as well as african um and you know two things um i i heard i mean we you know we we know why we're celebrating this. And then so, you sometimes get people going like, well,
2: let's say why, let's say, let's say for the audience, we know why, but let's, why are we celebrating it? Let's make that explicit too. I mean, what, for me, why are you celebrating it?
1: Well, I'm celebrating, this is the this is basically um, not only the Arab world, not only Africa, um, you know, not only um, the, 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 but also, sorry, the, the diaspora, Mm-hmm. meaning the underclass on which europe relies which mm-hmm. europe abuses terribly in terms of you just look at the struggles of of migrants to get to europe and then the places they're assigned in those societies of cleaning the houses of you know street vendors
3: police, police the, harassment
1: yeah it's a victory for you know for everyone who who has faced um, all of that I mean in terms of decentering the west and empower you know a, a symbolic victory for you know, uh, migrants for uh, Africans, for Arabs, for you know many uh, marginalized communities. This like represents something powerful. There's a question mark, but I'll maybe everyone else wants to say why they're supporting. We can come back to the question that I want to ask. Like that, I, we we sometimes have to field on that. Well,
2: yeah, we we have to get. We're there. in a
3: world that That's... is in a world that is highly unequal. That is that you have you know who has power, who doesn't have power. So then there's this tournament that is being played every four years, and for me it it's this is not it's very different from the Olympics. It, I, I don't have much thing about the Olympics, but for this thing I've always put a lot of energy and, and and this investment into it. And you know it goes back to when it was Maradona, and I know there's also debates about Argentina and how Argentina views itself as probably like Europe as a little. Like it has a self-identification as Europe in South America or whatever. But when Maradona like took his hand and like hit the ball with his hand into the goal, it's illegal, but there's a way that how you experience that. So this is the same way that I think about these things. When, 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 and then when,
2: when Cameroon okay. beat
3: opening game of 1990, I have the same feeling so now it's, I have the same feeling with Morocco I don't
2: want st- to I don't want to stray too far from the topic that Tony uh, brought up those, so, those two yeah, why, yeah. so <laughs> what is the dimension of your support for Morocco like what what is it
3: Africa is the clear. first African team so just I'll be quick yeah. because I like do because you know we can, we'll, I'll come back to this probably in a minute but it's the first African team um, to, for me at least to go to the you know it go to go to the semifinal of the World Cup I was screaming for that I think that's an important thing I think secondly, um, I think it's that. And then you know, there's this kind of big thing called the third world, some people call it the global south. It, it's full of contradictions, but that's my other my other thing as part of it. I think for me, that's basically yeah, the two yeah, things. Yeah, we can debate I, mean, I think I'm full yeah. of all those
2: other things, so, and I can debate that, but those are the two things. So there's another mention, think, there's another dimension you guys aren't mentioning, and there's this for the history nerds, there is this historical relationship between the Maghreb and Southern Europe and Morocco symbolically not only have taken on their um, the countries where they have a large mi- un- migrant underclass, but they've also taken on the countries that historically have expelled them from one mm-hmm. of the, the most advanced um, <laughs> kind of middle uh, middle age uh, civilizations that existed, and um, kicked off one of the most destructive imperial <laughs> um, <laughs> periods of the world which created transatlantic slavery and the genocide of indigenous people and, and yeah. all
0: I,
1: when 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 they beat Spain for me I was on social media it was the re, the reconquista yeah and portugal too exactly. And, they did yeah, portugal. Exactly. <laughs> exactly and
0: i mean this is this is why i think it's beautiful i mean there's a great. I mean, Christopher Lash is a divisive figure, but he has this great essay from like the '90s in the New York Review of Books about the corruption of sports. And like, one thing we don't admit to ourselves is that part of the joy of sports is that it it gives us an outlet for our sublimated desire for for war, basically. And what this is, it's it's vengeance. It's yeah. on that metaphysical, spiritual level. What this allows us mm-hmm. to glory in. Is, is why sports are so enrapturing is that we can now celebrate with the Moroccans that they've now had the upper hand over their erstwhile conquerors. And I think that's, that's a beautiful thing. And I think sports still having its connection to, to that kind of essential purpose of this celebration of what the best humankind has to offer, but also that it's in its ability to transform us or take us beyond kind of like everyday life into this other kind of realm as I think is beautiful. And, and that I think is, you know, ever since the game has been modernized and, and commercialized, it's something that we've lost, but this is like the first world cup where you feel like there's, there's a team that has a great story. Um, And I think just the beauty of that story with all of its contradictions, which only add to the, the, the greatness of that story is, is something to to revel in.
2: Point is it's, it's gonna be you or me. me? Well, I don't want to get to the contradictions yet. I just want to stick with this one set, like, and I want to ask you guys. Many of you, you the three of you, are I would consider kind of Marxist scholars in a in a sense. Um, and is this is this not being you know super deeply um, well read in it? I've, I'm wondering, is this like a Gramscian kind of moment, like the hegemony of the order of of football? Is being upset by expectations and then what does that do um does that have a consequence in in like real politics Mm. or no i (laughs) I don't know about morocco and we must
1: come because the question you know particularly for africa as a country frankly (laughs) there is a question you have i have to ask you all about Africa celebrating Morocco, but we'll come back to that. You know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> but I think on the question you're asking, I think it's more interesting to look at the World Cup as a whole
3: mm, as yeah, yeah. that
1: kind of moment decentering the West and yeah. the hegemony of the West, and sort of almost a symbolic moment that catches up with what's happening in geopolitics mm-hmm. and in, in in other spheres, where you suddenly, you know, the Ukraine moment, <clears throat> where. Basically, you know, there's this war that essentially NATO versus Putin, like, mm-hmm. you think of the old third world sensibility, a non-aligned movement. we don't have a, a horse in that race. Mm-hmm. Like, but basically, the US is expecting us to, us, as in the third world, is expecting the poor of the third world to carry the burden of its sanctions. And no discussion, you know, it's like, okay, we're doing this, this is it, you're going to have to pay this much more for bread, this much more for gasoline, whatever. They have no solutions for the third world. So you sort of saw all the furor, and particularly the British and Western European media (coughs) over the World Cup. And you sort of come to the World Cup and you say, well, the global South has a very different set of priorities that it wants on the table. And the sort of selective morality of Western powers of like, Mm -hmm. now we care about international law because Putin violated it. But we didn't care about international law when we did it, like invading Iraq. We don't care about it when Israel's doing it every day. And that's just not acceptable. And this is a moment where you 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 have that hegemonic assumption of what we put on the table is what matters, going, no, actually it's not. And there's a different conversation starting to be had. The world is collectively facing incredible uh, problems and crises. And we are not. We're not going to accept the West deciding how those are going to be resolved because they're always self-serving, narrow, and at the expense of the majority of people on the planet. And so, you know, this is not. This is not a bipolarity. On the contrary, this is a very multipolar moment and a moment which is very uncomfortable for for Western, uh, you know, opinion makers, for Western leaders, etc. It's like, oh, we don't really run the world. We talk about this liberal world order, but everyone else is actually woken up. To the fact that the liberal world order is literally colonial i mean it was literally western liberalism and colonialism are absolutely intertwined and the the global system it created was a system that's based on property and <clears throat> uh, theft as in the theft of the resources of the third world that then get codified as a set of property relations now i'm, um, I'm channeling kojo kawara because i really love this. <laughs> um, you know the Uncommon wealth. i really highly recommend the history of the british empire he's a, a ghanaian british marxist historian um but yeah you know i think that that is what more than anything is is being signified um by this world cup it's like a cultural reflection of what's happening in the geopolitical space so and i think i mean
0: uh, uh, no i just wanted to, uh, to, to emphasize something that tony just said now which is that like on the one hand you definitely do have um, you know, you've got all this hand wringing from the West, as Tony said, kind of the imposition of standards that uh, the West itself hasn't maintained. Uh, and then you have, on the other hand, uh, sort of a reactionary weaponization of identitarian arguments to deflect criticism. People saying, no, we must all be cultural relativ- relativists again now one cannot criticize the qatari states this and that and the other so you do have at the level of 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 states a kind of competition for moral high ground Mm -hmm. um one side trying to 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 stave off its declining hegemony another side seeing the vacuum and trying to get a piece of the pie but i think you have this other conversation of people of people themselves, kind of like rejecting both, kind of saying, look, we aren't representatives of the Moroccan state. We don't endorse their politics. Um, We are ordinary people at the grassroots who want to have a stake in the conversation about where the world is headed as this realignment is taking place. And I feel like the World Cup has been the theater where you're seeing that conversation starting to to crystallize, which I think is very exciting and presents uh, a wonderful opportunity. And unlike the post colonial moment when we have to admit at some point that the the non alignment conversation itself was happening at the level of you know at the level of the states mm-hmm. and political figures, and that ordinary people were left out. I think now we're seeing ordinary people wanting to participate in this conversation. Um, and I think the the question for you know, Tony, you said the question for us, the question for everyone is is, is as we progress further and further into this moment, how do we crystallize these efforts to try and chart that alternative way that rejects the kind of bipolar structure of either you align with the West or you align with China,
3: Russia, and and you yeah. know, those guys? And just to add, add to, to Minus Quick, I think you both have said sort of where my head was going, but I think what the only thing I would add to this is this question of when those moments happen and this is to Poima's point of like this Gramscian kind of war of position, you know, like for people who don't read this stuff, like that the this, this struggle is always, you know, like dependent on what's, you know, what's happening for Gramsci. It's like struggles over hegemony. Like who's, who's controlling like the debate, the way we he's, think about these. Who's these, making the common sense. Yeah, who's making the common sense. And I think the terrain is not perfect. So I'll give you two examples of what I mean by this. The one is, it's, it was held in Qatar, and people were like, so, you know, as, as Will said, it's an in, at the level of the state, Qatar is not the perfect candidate for where you are going to play this thing out that Tony was describing. This kind of the hypocrisy of the liberal left, the, the liberal left, well, the liberal left, the liberals, the liberal state consensus got exposed like in this moment, like their hand wringing where were you when, when Russia was? Why didn't you do that for Russia, Robert? So all that plays out in this moment. But And and the other one is also, you cannot you cannot predict what people are going to do. So the one is you're like, they're they flying all these Palestinian flags. Yes, the states in that part of the world will allow for that because that's also partly a sort of lip service on the part of the state, but now it's also people. And it wasn't just Arabs who were in the crowd, Ecuadorians, Mexicans, well, you know, Uh, English people who say football is coming home free Palestine so it's just like (laughs) the, the, the BDS I've said this I've said this in another kind of space BDS and so on has been fighting so hard to you know grapple with the idea of a sports boycott like how can we start a sports boycott I've grappled with this Tony has grappled with this and boom there's the people in the stands there's the Moroccan team boom out comes the flag so the terrain is not the perfect terrain similarly with Morocco now people are like Morocco, is a uh, Morocco's calling hey. out Palestine. What is Morocco doing about this? Uh, the parade oh, is not perfect. It is what you do in the moment. I'll stop there because I'm going ahead of myself. Yeah,
2: you're going, you're, we're <laughs> going to get, let's get to that. But I want to stop real quick because there's a point that I want to, I want to kind of emphasize before we talk about the Moroccan politics, which is kind of the debate that's happening right now on social media. Um, and we'll, we'll give a little bit background to what that is. But before the tournament, um, you, Sean, were conflicted about supporting brazil. and and yes. so i'm I'm a Brazil fan. I'm a for, you know, I used to live in Brazil, um and I was not conflicted. I was like, they're gonna win. I don't care about Neymar's. and I, I was and I was against Neymar, if you remember in our radio show, but I was still supporting the team. And um I think there's this moment, and, you know, I didn't mention my favorite moment from the group stages was actually, I was going into that Cameroon game with like, okay, Cameroon has no chance. And normally I'm Africa first, but this was like Brazil's my team. And I was fully on board. That was with the Richarlison narrative. But my favorite moment from the group stage actually was when Abu Bakr runs <laughs> yes, across, you know, yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. Takes his shirt off, gets a red card and gets kicked <laughs> out of the game. It was perfect. And I think that like, you know, like your own loyalties can get mixed up in the course of one game, right? Like I was all, you know, Brazil puts its B team on. Okay, I'm team Abu Bakr all of a sudden. But um, so that's the question is like, can we before we get to this Morocco conversation? We we are all supporting Morocco. Can we how much can we um s- separate? What is, the, what is the divide? You know what I'm saying? What you, is
3: you that? Might, uh, Brazil for me is specific though. So I know that there's some I have ambivalence about the Morocco thing and you know, we'll get to that in a minute. But the Brazil thing was just very specific. The Brazil thing was explicitly all the members of that team with the exception, I think, of... How do you say his name? Chiche? Not all. Not all. Well, not all, but a lot of them. We know a lot of them openly it's- uh, campaigned for... Uh, right, Alison. I think Alison's. Wife. However,
2: however, the the team is also reflective of the country. You got to recognize that fifty percent, mm. almost fifty percent of Brazil that's are of also people, Colorado supporters. You know, it's 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 a society that is in contention. You know, no, I agree with you. But so there was a... that. That's mm. what the country is, right? Like, you know, it's. I, I the, think we probably also have to acknowledge as
1: much as we love him and venerate him, and and you know. Genuflect at his shrine. Socrates was something of an exception in yeah. the history of Brazilian football. It's not <laughs> like... a good was, point. You know, it's uh, that's like, the same
3: point I make about Argentina. You can be like Maradona, Messi are so brilliant in their feigns, the way they play. If you just use another example, that's not generally how Argentinian football is played. So the, so yes, Socrates is a, is an exception. Romario, I think, had a little bit of sort of center-leftist politics, but I think. I understand what like, like, probably you're going to say, like, Sean, you're going to you gonna catch yourself in a minute. But I think it was for me just the Brazilian thing was I, I just couldn't support them for, the, the, if you want to call it like the leaders, the faces of the team, were too explicit. If they were ambivalent, um, if Neymar was like supporting Bolsonaro, but he wasn't, you, he, support, he came out and he campaigned for it. Mm. Now, I don't know. There Maybe there's going to be tweets soon of, Moroccan players like uh, uh, you know I don't know saying terrible things about Western Sahara or whatever. but I think there's <laughs> probably said they might be. Um, but I think with Neymar it was just it was it was partly the very explicit campaigning for bolsonaro that just put me off and also by the way, Neymar th- there's something else here too, Bomar which we're not recognizing. Neymar as a footballer is also not somebody, that I naturally will gravitate to and just like there are other Brazilian footballers that I love. But you came
2: around to Brazil I in football. the end, right?
3: It's also about football. It's also about football. The Brazilian thing is also very about football. I but just, you come, I, come I, around never.
2: to Brazil, didn't you?
3: <laughs> I did come around to Brazil because of <laughs> Rivaldo. <saw it>. Once <laughs> Rivaldo like becomes the embodiment of this team, that I kind of always and also yes, to your again now it sometimes it's football, sometimes it's politics. There is something beautiful and satisfying. Somebody wrote about this last week, I think, for the week before. Brazil does what I think the person referred to as these unnecessary flicks. Uh, just things that are just beautiful. Like Argentina will win, mm. Messi will do some nice stuff, but for the rest, it's just ugly. I think Tony had some sweet.
2: I think it was.
3: Brazil, it just looks
2: beautiful. And yeah, I I think think half the win. people are disappointed Brazil's out just so they. Don't get to watch more of the beauty of like, yes yeah, exactly. Ox left pass. like
3: Well, that's because triangle. they don't know how to do it. I think the whole English thing is they have only Gascoigne, yeah. Barnes, who I can think... do that kind of thing, and for the rest, they don't. And so they upset the rest of us. We know that where we come from. Well, yes, I said this to Will the other day, and I think I've said this to you. The thing I love the most about Brazil is. Most teams probably have people who play like that in the playing ground on the street.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, play. it's, the it's township team, is favela football.
3: Ghana yeah. can play like that too. So can Cameroon. So can whoever. But the one you know, team but none sure. of
2: them are in. Brazil was our last hope to see well, that. What did you
3: think? Uh, Morocco plays it when
1: they're on the break. the Yeah. Guys, I just want
3: to say
1: this, this, this little piece of conversation we we're just having actually says something to me also about the World Cup and about ourselves and how we think about and feel football, which is, I mean, the dumbest, it's not dumb because, okay, you have to forgive them. They know not what they ask. But people say to you, who are you rooting for? And it's like, that's like a really strange question because we all go into the World Cup with a very conscious sense, not just of a nationality not just of like you know the idea that this team of players represents the state they might represent the nation which is a different idea like a concept okay. but but also that our affinities we're all products of migration of you know of a very complex world we care about social justice really that you know that's the lens through which we're going to measure everything and so the iterations of those concerns are, are multiple and complex in a World Cup we love beautiful football, we love justice, we love freedom, we love, you know, uh, parts of the world that are underrepresented. We can always find a narrative for why we want this team to win or that team to win. You know, and, and it's not, you know, it's not, you were asking, talking earlier about Will, Will liking Richarlison for his club. And I'm like, oh, that would have been a dilemma when Harry Kane's taking a penalty <laughs> against Lloris. <Maurice."
3: laughs> it was. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's complicated. It's, like it's last like, World Cup, I loved Croatia. Underdog.
1: Um, I'm afraid that's a lot it. to do with We're done. We're Mansou- done.
3: No, I know, I know. Yes, I, know. Man. I know the whole history of Russia. I, I get obsessed with Modric and Matsukic. I just got sort of I just love this old guy who's like fighting against time and like just throwing his body. He looks like Haggard at every game. I don't know. There was other teams, of course. I was wondering. I wanted that time I wanted to France to win the World Cup and so on. But there was also something about just a sort of small country battling, you know, against the, the, those are just things. I I was not the whole world cup, but if some games I'd be like, okay, they knocked Brazil out, I think. No, Belgium knocked Brazil out in 2018. But there's just like moments when you pick weird things that sometimes it doesn't make sense.
2: So let's, uh, let's um, wade into these waters and talk a little bit about the controversy of the politics With morocco and i actually have to um i'm hoping i can ensure this or i'm stepping in the intro this because i have to uh give a editorial disclaimer that africa as a country is currently working um on a film related to uh the struggle of the polisario and the people the swah sahwari people in um um in in algeria um and their relation to the moroccan government so um, just putting that out there because when we do release this, people will be like, "Hey, what's going on there?" So um, you can have two ideas at the same time. But anyway, continue. Well, I okay. mean, maybe Sean,
1: you should say actually unpack that because what you're saying is mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. people were saying you can't you can't say Morocco is anything good for Africa because of the Sahrawi people that you are are forgetting that you have to erase them in order to say that. But well, so, Sean, the- explain what you mean by two ideas. Oh. Let, oh, let's boy, first boy, say boy. What,
2: the, what the conflict is. Let's just yeah, – so, who, who wants to just really quickly run down if – We'll get you know, a
3: good, um, a good uh, newsletter for this for upcoming – But it'll, it'll
2: come out. But Boima, you
0: could give some some context. Okay. I think you've got the most
2: coming okay. yeah. So basically what's hmm. going on is there's a debate. Um, once the Moroccan team unfurled the Palestinian flag um, – the debate ensued about what about the Sahawari people. And the reason why people are drawing those connections is because the Moroccan government is working in cahoots with the Israeli government Um, under pressure from the Trump United States. We have to throw that in there is that this is a geopolitical thing. Trump wanted recognition by more Arab states of the Israeli government. Um, The Moroccan government conceded as long as that Israel and the United States would recognize their claims. Mm-hmm. Um, at in the UN at, for the territory which they call Southern Morocco and what the Sahrawi people call Western Morocco, um, Western Sahara, which is their um, which is their kind of declared by the UN, um, which is their um, sovereign territory. Um, there is a conflict that is hot conflict. There is actual fighting happening during this World Cup between the um, Republic of the Sahrawi and uh, the Sahwari Republic and Morocco, with Algeria also stepping in um, with support of the Sahwari and Spain also stepping in um, in support of Morocco after Morocco um, was held hostage by the border crisis, the, um, the border crisis they created in which um, they said they opened the border basically on one day Um, in protest of Spanish support of the Polisario. Um, And that caused all kinds of um, chaos, and some people died. And so it's a very complex situation that most of the world is not aware of. Um, And so the Moroccan team walks into this, um, and now the debate is uh, raging on Twitter. So, um, So I think the debate is there was a Westerner, somebody in Boston, who's now deactivated their account. Um, said I could not in good conscience support the Moroccan team um, considering their um, the policies of the Moroccan government uh, in the Sahwari land so let's talk
3: so since you asked me like this point of saying like you can hold um, two thoughts at once and you can you you have to be also aware of you know Certain political realities. So my my argument is basically, you can celebrate the victory by Morocco's team, and you can agitate for Western Sahara at the same, same time. And you have to figure out like what what is the right moment, also um, as part of part of this. Now we've said things here, for example, about the separation between a team and a state. That necessarily, the national team doesn't rec- doesn't is, is is not always just. It's not a one to one. It's not like a national team is always. Representing the 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 state, it represents often the people. I mean, our this, famous group,
2: This team in particular is made up of a lot of people who were grew up, born and raised in Europe
3: as well. Exactly.
2: So those are the, so it's it, it's
3: you have here people that don't even have that everyday experience, you know, of say living, growing up um, in Morocco. But then there's for me also there's a whole bunch of other things to this uh, this question of where would you agitate for this so if the moroccan if you're demanding that the moroccan national team should because they raise this the, the flag of palestine and was like oh they should also raise the, the the flag of the of the sarawi well you also need to know something about morocco morocco isn't necessarily like a democratic state mm-hmm. it may have political parties it does have a parliament but there are restrictions within that political state, like how you can operate. It's quite authoritarian. So expecting an average um, a Moroccan player to, for, you know, whether, whether or not they're even from the diaspora to, to put up their, uh, you know, to, to, to put up a Sarawi um, flag, I don't think it's, it's that easy. You have relatives, you have family, you've got to think of your own person. You know, it's, it's, it's not that easy to do that kind of thing. So we have to think about that. Um, I think, and I, I know will wants to say something about that. Like I said, the terrain isn't perfect. So now you have Moroccans declaring themselves on on Palestine. that's a starting point to maybe demand some other things about uh, the Sarawi. will
0: yeah, no I think I think you've said it really well, Sean, and um, I think appreciating that we're also in a different phase of the struggle for self-determination for the Sahrawi people. And that this is a moment of opportunity, as Sean was saying, to agitate, to raise consciousness, to put the struggle on the map, to alert the rest of the world that this is happening, while at the same time acknowledging that the Moroccan people themselves, the players that represent them, um, are distinct from that. And there may be a time when those associations are, my deed, where we can more legitimately say that you know these players are are supportive of the state initiatives which are pursued in their name but i think given where we're at it makes sense to me that you you want to use moroccos what they represent the fact that their triumph over spain who has a hand in this mess in the first place? The triumph over, well, hopeful triumph over France um, can be rep- can be seen as a as an anti-colonial moment from below, from the people themselves, and use that as the peg to to demand consistency from from Iraqis to say, well, if you're supportive of Palestine, um, if you yourselves are, are are interpreting your your advances as as, as anti-colonial and in, in a symbolic way, then you must at the same time uh, show solidarity to, to the Sahrawi people. Um, and I think that moment of opportunity exists and there will come a time when we test that. And if for example, um, you know, nothing is forthcoming, if the agitation doesn't materialize in, into, into concrete support, then maybe we should start the conversation of, about boycotts of the Moroccan team but basically this is an opportunity to kind of force commitments um on the part of of the Moroccan team and 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 their supporters um and I think that's that's exciting and that's promising rather than completely kind of throwing the baby out with the bathroom I, like, uh, I exactly I, I, and I, 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 just can, can I just and, uh, Just real quick,
2: I want to say something about what you just said, Will, is that I think one lesson that we've been learning in the production of this um, film about the just energy transition from the perspective of Africa and African governments is that it's it's really the same conversation. It's that there's pressure Mm -hmm. on African governments, you know, you're experiencing energy crisis right now, you know, so there's pressure on African governments to deliver things that the West... Has deprived them of for years, and they're doing so with certain tools. I think that ultimately, getting pressure off of what uh, the the Sahrawi Republic and the and the um, and the Polisario fight is directly related to how much pressure is on Morocco to fit into this global um, empirical um, kind of puzzle. You know, how much does the Moroccan government need to satiate Germany's um, greed for our energy needs, which is also causing them to put, build energy farms in Western Sahara? You know, the greenwashing and the football washing, it's all related. So how much does energy independence create, you know, the, the, the need to not take all the resources from Western Sahara, create an opportunity for the Sahrawi people to have more freedom?
1: I just want to add something, you're following on what, what, what Will said and, and what you're saying, what we were discussing earlier, which is the Palestinian flag and what that symbolizes. So it's some you know, and and hopefully the Palestinian flag as like a souvenir is kind of the Vubuzela of the <laughs> twenty two World Cup, that people go home with one, right? That, but I think we mustn't we shouldn't interpret that in a narrow way. That Palestinian flag in the case of Morocco is a descent. From mm-hmm. what the state is doing, yeah. because the state is not yeah. supporting Ooh. Palestine. Yeah. The state is actually embracing Israel, right? So basically, and as, as you said, Boima, um, that the, you know, part of the deal for the Abraham Accords was the U.S. kind of recognizing Morocco's claims on, on Western Sahara. So basically, that's a breach. But even more generally, I think we should read the Palestinian flag at the World Cup as a statement, particularly in the Arab public. The first time, because football, we know, creates safe spaces for dissent, in a way. And for the first time, a pan-Arab conversation is happening. And the Palestinian flag symbolizes not only support for Palestine, it actually symbolizes a rejection of the way they're currently ruled. Mm -hmm. That is profound. That is a huge Mm -hmm. moment. That is the first time we've seen that spirit since 2011, of people going we want a different way of being we want a different way of ruling ourselves and this symbolizes and it's relatively safe because it's very hard for regimes to overtly clamp down on on you know expressions of love for palestine but we know that the, you know that's what, what their policies are in many cases so i do think it's a very it's a profound moment whose meanings are far more than 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 simply you know in a narrow sense palestine uh, solidarity they also palestine solidarity in itself represents a challenge uh to a particular
3: political order in the region. And there there are interviews, I think Al Jazeera may have done those interviews in Qatar where they ask Moroccan supporters like why are you waving the Palestinian flag when, they, when I think it was there was one particular woman and she said the yeah the government might have a relationship with Israel, but that's not my you know that's not that's not my politics. So there's definitely space here for something else. And I think it's just, I don't know politics politics is becoming more is, is increasingly about like um you're wrong uh, so yeah there's a lot of that you know, in, well, the tw- and Twitter <laughs> Twitter is not great for for political debate yeah. I, yeah. I don't I don't really I mean Africa's a country as you know in the last the, one of the reasons we're having this we're having this discussion about this is even Africa's country has faced a lot of sort of when when I tweeted out um, you know saying this is a, a, a Morocco is the first African team to go to the semifinals of the World Cup. Um, and this is wonderful and great. And then I just saw people came with, the, like, what about Western Sahara? And one of, you know, I, I wanted to respond, but at some level, you were just like, whatever I'm going to say, it's a, how, how many characters is it? It's never going to be nuanced enough to sort of say, it's fine I to think- fight with you now, but you... We've- Pope-
2: we've- I think the support of the of the Western Sahara has been something you know we've been engaged in. We're currently engaged in. You know we, we've been working with Progressive International, um, who who are also the 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 uh, West the Polisario are specifically reaching out to Westerners to publicize their their fight, and they reached out to us they reached out to Progressive International, and there is this campaign to raise awareness about their struggle. And I wouldn't criticize anybody for raising awareness. You know, I I think part of what's unfortunate is that there's this kind of knee-jerk reaction that's happened online where it's like, wait, how dare you criticize my joy? Like, I'm experiencing this great joy, and you're just agua fiestas, like, you're raining on my parade, you know? and and but also i think the people who are reacting that way yeah. have to yeah. also be really self aware of what they're doing in public and not being reactionary cuz this is the same thing that happened with the with the russian with the russian nato thing and there was yeah. all this kind of very reactionary thing started going on when really what we are on as leftists is is on the side of the liberation of the sawari people who yeah. is a leftist uh, communist regime and and you know fighting for their but not just that yeah. if you look and at I the, mean Russia, yeah
3: go ahead yeah. well if you just quickly no, can... Russia Ukraine thing um, it, it quickly became like uh, what they call those the people who wanted the old uh, kind of arguing sort of like a Russian like Soviet thing because Russia must be the Soviet Union so I'm with Russia uh, the, the, the then the Eastern the days East, even from South Africa It turns out that if you were, if you had something with the Soviets, you know, whether you were in exile or whatever, or if you know that history, they actually mostly went to Ukraine. So it it was just like messy how that stuff played out. And in fact, our attitude was like, no, I don't want war. Is there a way for us to get out of war rather than repeating the lines of the West or repeating the lines of Putin? So... That's, I think, similar to to this. The question, the, the point here is like, we cannot rely on the Moroccan state to do this. We can't rely on the AU. We can't rely on the US. I don't we not rely states. on any state. Russia. People are going to have to change the situation. And there's something here brewing about what people are doing exactly. around the Palestinians, yeah. back like, to Tony's point. Take advantage of the moment.
1: Mm-hmm. Also, so the one, yeah. I, yeah. I, have, I
3: feel obliged on behalf of
1: Zinedine Zidane to... to mentioned the thing that that gets a lot less attention but you know and it's not as fraught uh maybe as the question of western sahara in 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 that moroccan conversation but amazigh right you know people come more common commonly in in western finance known as berber uh you know basically morocco's got an arab identity but it's also got an african identity and it's also got an amazigh identity and amazigh are not african I'm sorry, Amazigh are not Not Arab, Arab, right? And, you know, there's a history of sort of struggle in those communities, in particularly Morocco and Algeria. And they're also
2: struggling currently for the same thing, resource extraction on their territories, you know, pastoral lands are being...
1: I mean, a number of the players, the coach himself comes from an Amazigh background.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, And a lot of the players, you know, Zidane, I remember famously that classic interview where where Zidane referring to everybody trying to claim him you know, as the great French hero, as the great Arab hero, etc., replies and says, "Look, first, I'm a Kabyle from Le castillon Kabil. The Kabil being a an Amazig region in in Algeria. Um, second, I'm an Algerian from Marseille. And third, I'm a Frenchman. Like, yeah, the, you know, these complex identities. You see Amazig flags mm-hmm. flying in the stadium. By the way, it's that flag with the blue. It, it's got the stripes, and then it's got the blue figurine." Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on. There are a lot of conversations going on in parallel.
2: If I, I think we should um, move on to something um, to wrap up. Um, if, if there's anything else anybody wants to say about this, um, there's, a lot, there's a lot there. And um, you'll see more from us. Africa is a country, I'm sure. Tony's work will also um, touch on these things. But um, the, I wanted to ask the wrap up. So we have four teams left. Let's talk about them and who do you support and what stories are you mo- most uh, excited about? I mean, obviously the Morocco ones there, but like, do we want Messi to win his cup so he can be mentioned with the greats? <laughs> you know, like here's my, I'll be, I'll go quick. Oh, okay. see. It's talking about greatest of all time, the Messi Ronaldo thing was the weirdest. Like, who really <laughs> wants this? And then my favorite tweet was, um, "Ronaldo may be, may be the goat, but today is Eid." <laughs>
3: that that closes that debate that's the end of that debate my here's my thing so I I, I'm not going to return to goat debates Maradona is still the goat Pele some people might older people might say it's Pele Maradona is my goat not changing from that this is like Michael Jordan versus LeBron you can never settle it done on the semifinals. to be honest with you I don't care much for tomorrow's game I and again, again, the, the game might surprise me, like the Netherlands, Argentina did eventually. I was paying half attention. I didn't even—I'm gonna be honest—I didn't even watch France versus versus um, versus England. I was at a soccer field watching under thirteens. I, I was kind of I had to drive my child there. But I don't expect much interesting to come from this game. Somebody will probably score, like I score an early goal, and then
2: there's disruption, falling around, whatever.
3: You don't think it's gonna be
2: kind of uh feisty? You know, it's gonna be a lot of fighting
3: and yeah. feistiness. This is Our game, this, game, this, game, this are, game. Are willing to fight They're pretty filthy. Yeah. I don't know what is what are the stadiums called? The this could be called the butchery of nine seven, <laughs> whatever. Like the stadiums have numbers. <laughs> for injury um,
2: fans. This one is for injury fans. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah. This this could go gone forever, and I would have I, I'd be like, yo, it's time to make dinner, and they still playing, so it's gonna be <laughs> yeah. like that. It's not gonna be fun. The game's still sunrise know? The game, the next. so I think Argentina will win that thing. I think it's going to be messy. Can and... we ask Wolf for um, at least you know? Actually, Parisić
1: is uh, who plays for Tottenham Hotspur. Is actually the one player in Cro- on that Croatian team that I actually like
3: watching. Um, yeah, well, no, so you do great. like Croatian players, but let's move on. He, earlier, he was mad at me, so I'll finish my 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 flurry here by saying France versus uh, versus Morocco. That's going to be. It could just be anti-climax and then, you know, I don't know, France like destroys them, God forbid. But maybe it's not. Morocco does. You don't, every game is not the same game. Look at Portugal, destroys like Switzerland, can't get past Morocco. It's how you set up. So as long as the Moroccan coach has a game plan, the players turn up, they defend like crazy. and They've got a heavy
1: injury list.
3: Yeah, Ziyech Mm -hmm. looks like he's not in good shape and so on. Mm -hmm. So they, it's a depleted team. Inshallah, Inshallah, Morocco wins. They go to the final against Messi, and they prevent Argentina, M- they prevent Argentina <laughs> from getting that third world. It's a third World Cup. They're gonna get a yeah, third World Cup, um, and we have our first African champion in the history of 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 of, uh, of uh, world football. A,
1: for the cold water, the cold water element. Yeah, I mean that's our dream, we all share that dream. But assuming we get woken up with a cold shower and we're watching a final, that's France-Argentina.
2: Where does that leave us? I got to go with the Messi. Yeah, probably. I mean, I'm going gonna, gonna, I mean, to...
3: Argentinians I mean, are weird on the internet about wanting to even deal with their own history, uh, they've been going for Africa's country all morning, uh, just kind of pretending that stuff didn't happen or saying, oh, it was just uh, maids and... and and coach drivers, it's slavery slavery ended, and everything was nice again. Um, and they have some of them are Mapuche names. Uh, it, it's go, yeah. I, I would I would I would I would rather go for Messi over France. So you're I, leaving? I I go, I, I'd go to
0: France. I'd go to I'd go to thank you, France. Thank you. I'd I'd love to see. I mean, it would be a replay France, of 2018. France, uses, France to do it again.
3: The diversity thing to. Kind of, they throw. What is that Dave Chappelle joke? They um, they, they spray some whatever uh, soup crack, crack on it. France sprays a little crack on it with the diversity team.
1: No, France just picks its best players, and they happen yeah. to be mostly African. So, yeah, I mean,
3: France... they have no Arab players. Interestingly, France doesn't have any Arab players. Players of Arab descent in the team. Sorry, Will, you wanted to. Oh, know, well, Benzema was injured. injured, by the yeah. way. I mean,
1: he's not. Yeah, jury wouldn't even be playing if Benzema. But
3: I can't go off. Will was going to tell us he's. No,
1: a, no, he's
0: I, mean, a... I mean, I mean, I, I'm, I'm backing France to to win it if they make it to final against Argentina. Hopefully, Morocco dispatches them in the semis. But I think another nice thing to look forward to in the semis is is a bromance between Ashraf Hakimi and Kylian Mbappe. I think it's just <laughs> so sweet. They're like sending sweet teacher, like, see you in the final, see you in the semi, bro, see
1: you in the semi, see you, my friend. And like, it's just, I'm I, like, how that for like a new footballing culture? Just <laughs> No, but so I think to, expanding on that, I think one of the things we really have to look forward to is I think there will be a real sense of kinship among a French team who mostly grew up in the Banlu. And as you know, as the, the children of migrants and that sort of mm-hmm. underclass, and the, and the Moroccan players, they come from the same place. They yeah. share the same experience. I suspect that you know, when the final whistle goes, whatever the result, you'll see the last Body everywhere. Yeah. Okay, let me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna revise
3: my. I'm gonna revise my thing. As much as I don't want France to win because of the crack that they spray, um, I it would be nice to see Mbappe I love the World Cup and so on, it will, be, it will be fine. Maybe over Alessandro Martinez and Fernandez and so on. But, but I don't know. It's like, there's something about people want Messi to win a World Cup. I have a feeling the South wants Messi to win a World Cup. My brother... Nice. You know, people I know want Messi um, to win a World Cup. Regular people... Might,
2: I'm there. That's, I'm, I mean, I don't a- want him... I have say lack of all the possible permutations. Like, if it's, you know... I guess not possible permutations. If it's France, Argentina is the only one. Obviously, Morocco, I'm going. But then Morocco it's Croatia. Wants
3: to win the World Cup. That's and I think Croatia
2: France, clearly everybody here is France. The real just, question the, is,
1: I'm sorry, but I have to say that the metrics are so weird here because <laughs> basically it's far harder to win the European Champions League than it is to win the World Cup. Mm-hmm. That's far more of a test. And Messi has won the European Champions League mm. a number of times. He's got nothing left to prove. It doesn't, it's not a higher form of the game. It's actually a lower form of the game. World well, no, International. He's, he's won, won the European,
2: European things. Won but the,
3: the, historical,
2: the historical narrative though, you gotta put him if he's going up against Maradona right now, right? And everybody's saying yeah. if he can't deliver to his nation, he will never be on the level of Maradona. I'm with Boima
3: on that. I'm with Boyman on that you but can. Do you, can you can want You want Messi to surpass Maradona?
1: Maradona had no. Maradous I just want to revolutionary, say, Bessie is not.
2: Sorry, I, just, <laughs> I would yeah, I would say no, that. It's not about
3: surpassing. It's not about surpassing yeah. Maradona. It's like it's like Maradona. if you want to be at the same level as Maradona, which most people think Maradona, you are, it's no, Pele, Maradona, Maradona, Maradona and is. you. Come on, man! It's I, Pelle I, Maradona, Maradona, and you. And if it's Pele, <laughs> Maradona, and you, well. we lost Will. We lost world because of the uh, we should load explain. Load, yeah, we should load explain
1: load. to the audience what happened to Will.
2: It's Will, Will has been uh, um, cut by load shedding. The uh, colonial <laughs> regime wins again.
3: <laughs> no, it's a little bit. It's colonial regime, but also just like. I think you mean neo-colonial. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's also politics of like um, en- energy politics of like not not investing, not having good, you know, living with long legacies, etc. Anyway, my quick last point, because I know we all got to go. All I'll say and I always say this like I, I didn't want to go into the goat debate but I will say this Messi has won all those cups with Barcelona because you can buy a team you can even as great as Messi was you can put players around him and you can win the championship mm-hmm. as what as Boima says for your national team it's what it's 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 you know of course you can you can get a Uruguayan who can become Argentinian but if you it's what you get you have to play with the na- with who is who are members of the nation at that point he hasn't done it yet so if he wants to be at that same level and i think a lot of people kind of want that for him um you know so be it i won't feel bad if Argentina wins the world cup I, I, yeah i mean we, we're
1: gonna diff, we have to agree okay. to differ on this because i've always loved this this sort of individualized narratives around it's messi versus ronaldo <laughs> it's like no it's not how football is played like maradona was exceptional maradona covered Car- no, Maradona really. carried. Uh,
2: this is the really thing. This is what. Really this is the. This is the thing that if Messi, at, with this team, pulls off the win, then you have to put him in the conversation with Pele and Maradona. You just have to. And Ronaldo's out. Ronaldo's out on an island, crying in his boat. He's been out forever. <laughs> Ronaldo's
3: never been even in.
2: He's that meme of that of the boat coming in, but he's going out crying instead. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I don't know. I think it's a
1: very American um, sports narrative of like, you know, the great man. But,
2: but it's not. It's not because you just oh, said Maradona. You, Tony, this, you know that. Maradona is at this level, you know, because of what he accomplished individually, right? So Messi will never, in my book, Messi will never be Maradona.
3: Tony, yeah, without the Americans, without the Americans, we've always had debates about the greatest. You know this, Tony. Come on. You i I'm sorry, this I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You had those debates. You had those debates.
2: And and, no, and for I me, it's not, I'm not a Messi fan. I really fan. don't do
1: goat. I'm not interested in the
2: goat conversation. Listen, I'm a Brazilian supporter. I'm not a Messi fan or Argentina. For me, it's America Latina menos Argentina. But <laughs> if I can say to my kid, say I saw the World Cup where Messi finally got his World Cup, I think that would be a satisfying. Result for me. That's
1: okay. all. I mean, yeah, I, I respect that.
3: <laughs> I just, I, I think I'm done with the France. The I just like that means Nicola Atamendi is going to get a World Cup. But like, that's cool too, but that's cool too. That Nicolas Atomendi is a World Champion is also not a bad move.
1: Yeah. No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> exactly. is that's one. what we have
2: left. If it's not Morocco, what do we have left? Croatia? Or Croatia versus no, Croatia Dan. should not be like, world
1: champions. Yeah, maybe sort of Reactively, I, I guess Croatia's like, well, world okay. champions,
3: nobody's going to take it seriously, to be honest with you. Yeah, I know. I know. Nobody's going to believe it or like kind of take it as like no, it should, the best team in the world.
1: I mean, the extraordinary is Croatia's population is like 3 million, right?
3: Yeah, it's a really little country, it's a small country. Yeah. with a guy that looks like he's like 60 <laughs> with the hollowed out cheeks, Modric
2: there's a lot of croatians in my, in my hometown where i went to the game and as a brazilian supporter and had to contend with jubilant croatians running in my face as i stormed out of the bar
3: <laughs> well <laughs> like, have you jumped up and celebrated the neymar goal with so much force no the
2: netherlands i could i was so incredulous that the netherlands scored in the 90th minute or the 100th minute that i ran around the bar like a madman <laughs> could saying i couldn't believe it
3: I don't know what the Netherlands, I don't know why the Netherlands led Verzaw and Dyke take the first melody. Anyway, we have to go. If we don't go now, this will uh you can right. cut
1: this, you can edit this before the end. <laughs> you may have to edit it yeah. at the end.
3: All right. So, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you. For for Wills, for Wills, in the name of Will, I want to thank everybody um for, for coming and being here. This was wonderful. Excellent. Thanks. Okay. For cool.
2: Cheers. Thank